You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-S. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. Today on the show, we are going to talk about the Packers playing a season without fans and how that could potentially impact how we view this schedule, this ceiling, and what this team is capable of doing, because I do think there are consequences. I also want to talk a little bit later about Kevin King, because I think he is a player very much in the crosshairs of not just the Packers, but fans this season. It's a big year for him, and the the ceiling of this defense is very much dependent on not only how well Kevin King plays, but how much Kevin King plays. Right now, as we stand here at the end of June, the NFL is still saying the plan is to go ahead with fans in the stands. Given the state of the coronavirus around the country and the fact that we still have hot spots in plenty of places with major sports franchises, NFL teams, the Houston ICU system is already reportedly at max capacity and this is something that, as a nation, we're going to have to reckon with and get under control if we want to have football at all, not just football without fans. But this does have consequences if the season goes forward without fans. That seems like right now the most likely outcome, that we will have a season, but we will play to empty stadiums. So how does that change the view of this Packers team. Normally you look at a schedule and you go, okay, where are all the the home games? They're going 7-1, and 8-0 in those home games just because that's what the Packers always do at home. This is a good team. Good teams win games at home. And really the, the one tricky spot is, outside of the division anyway, is the Eagles at home. And then you have road games. You got to go to New Orleans, Tampa Bay, and San Francisco. Obviously, at Minnesota, at Chicago, at Detroit. Those are always tricky games in the division, and it's going to be a tough division this season. But if there are no fans, then the road advantage that a home team has, playing a team that is coming to their spot, you think about the Vikings and the crowd noise there and the atmosphere and the horn and the energy that you get from playing at home. Now, Green Bay has that same sort of mystique, Lambeau Field. This is a team very much that is reliant on energy. And when you look at the way that they they came out so flat in Los Angeles and so flat against the 49ers, you wonder 
are road games a problem for this team? Just road games. It's not like that Chargers game was a vociferous and fierce Chargers fan base. That was 65, 70, 75% Packer fans. And they still came out flat. They still came out with no energy and still didn't play well. So Green Bay, number one, has to fix that part of it. But not having fans. You go to New Orleans. I mean, that's the deal in New Orleans. That place gets loud. It gets crazy loud. And it affects opposing offenses in particular. It affects defensive calls. It affects all sorts of abilities to communicate and offensive linemen to to communicate. You have to go silent count. All of that stuff has material impacts on the game. And it also has impacts on the officiating. We've seen, there have been studies done on this, that home teams tend to get more calls, and part of that is, at least the theory goes, because of the home crowd. So if those things aren't there, then we're playing the season in something close to a vacuum. And it's about who the best team is, who the best coaches are, and who can put together the best game plans week to week because they're playing on an even platform. When you look at point-based models, for example, and you say, okay, Team X is three points better than uh, the average team on a neutral field. Well, they're all neutral fields now. So that means we have to look at how many teams on the Packers schedule are they just straight up better than. And that could theoretically give us an idea of where this team is headed in 2020. Now, what's interesting is I don't know really how much changes, but that's part of the reason why I wanted to have this discussion. Because I don't think there's no impact. I mean, Aaron Rodgers' ability to go hard count in every stadium he plays in in 2016, he's going to get a free touchdown on the road somewhere that he would never have gotten otherwise. And he may do it more than once. And the Packers' ability to communicate with their offensive line, for Rodgers to change plays at the line of scrimmage, becomes so much easier. And that's such an essential part of not only what makes Rodgers great, but what makes this offense potentially tough to stop. This team's ability to get into the right play. So without that impediment, they could be better on the road against some of these teams. So what I thought would be fun is, let's look at Super Bowl odds. So I went to Vegas Insider, and there are four teams, according to Vegas Insider, that have better Super Bowl odds than the Packers. In other words, teams that are considered to be better than the Packers in the NFC on their schedule. Saints, Bucks, Eagles, 49ers. And none of the AFC teams on Green Bay schedule are ahead of them in the Super Bowl odds. Now, that's not the case with Bovada. When you look at those futures odds, you, you have to add the Vikings and you have to add the Colts. If Bovada is to be believed and the Packers only win the games against teams considered to be better than them, they're a 9-7 team. But if they win the games against the teams that they're better than, according to Vegas Insider, and split with the Vikings because they have the same odds there, they're an 11-5 team. So even if you get swept by the Vikings, probably not. You're a 10-win team and you're going to the playoffs, especially with the new format. I think that doesn't really change, for me anyway, how I view this season. I felt like this was a team that was going to go 7-1 or 8-0 at home anyway, and they were going to lose games like at New Orleans, at Tampa Bay, 
at San Francisco, at Minnesota, and probably one other game. You know, whether it's in Chicago, in Detroit, something like that. Before That was before we knew everything we know about where these games are going to be played and how they're going to be played. And, and in fact, it's not even fair to say that because we still don't know how these games are going to be played or where. Because, you know, you, you, you listen to someone like Dr. Fauci who thinks that the NFL needs to be played in a bubble to be played safely. They could still go to that model. They could still go to Las Vegas and, and try and play games and you play at high school fields or something like that. I mean, it's not out of the question for them to do something like that. It seems unlikely at this point, but it's possible. If we're talking about teams on the Packers' schedule that I believe they are better than, then let's just go through it. I think they're better than Minnesota, but I don't know that they're going to sweep the Vikings again. So, all right, better than Minnesota, better than Detroit. I think New Orleans is better. I think they're better than Atlanta. Okay, that's three and one. I think they're better than Tampa Bay. I'm not sold on Tampa Bay But let's just, for the sake of argument, everyone loves Tampa. It's going to be hot. It's going to be early. All right, three and two. I think they're better than Houston. I think they're better than Minnesota. I think they're not as good as San Francisco. Okay, that's two losses. Better than Jacksonville. Indianapolis is tough. I think they're better than Indianapolis. And in Indy, that's another place where in Indianapolis, with that field, uh, as fast as it is, and that's and that fan base in full throat, that could be a loss. I think Green Bay is the better team. I don't think Phil Rivers is going to be a great quarterback this year. Okay, Chicago, Philadelphia, Detroit, Carolina, Tennessee, Chicago again. To me, the teams that I feel strongly are better than Green Bay on their schedule really are New Orleans and San Francisco. Those are the two teams. And then I think the teams that are close, you've got Philly, you've got Minnesota, you've got Tampa Bay, you've got Indianapolis. They're better than every other team on their schedule, clearly, to me. And so those are games they should win. This is a team that should win by talent, by coaching, and by culture, 10 games at least. 10, 11 games. That's the team I thought they would be going into the season before coronavirus, and that's the team that I think they'll be if we have to play games under these kinds of circumstances. And if you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do it than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventure across the globe, the Army is where you can make all of that happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself what's your warrior and text ALPL to 462-769 to find out. That's ALPL to 462-769. I want to talk about Kevin King because uh, Pro Football Focus came out with a stat that he was their best graded corner in the red zone last season. And at first I thought it said just zone, which seemed weird to me. And it reminded me that Doug Farrar earlier this offseason had written that Kevin King was one of the best man cover corners in the league. And these things go together. Uh, The fact that Kevin King is long, that he has good ball skills, that he reads quarterbacks effectively, that helps him be effective in each of those areas. And it mitigates some of the change of direction skills that he lacks. And especially in the red zone, there's not as much ground to cover. 
and you don't have as much time to find openings. And so it makes sense that he would be better there. We can think of the clutch plays that he made in the red zone last year. Green Bay's defense was particularly effective in the red zone. In fact, they were one of the best red zone defenses in the league last year. And part of the reason is they were so good at creating takeaways. Kevin King was a major part of that. His interception against the Vikings in week two was a turning point in that game in a lot of ways, or at least a moment that the Packers turned back a sure Vikings score, whether it was a touchdown or a field goal. So this is an interesting inflection point for Kevin King. What is he as a player? If he is an elite man cover corner and someone who can impact the game the most in the area of the field that most impacts scoring, then he's a really useful player. And the problem that he's had over the course of his career is twofold. He's been hurt and has therefore not been able to be on the field to make an impact. You have to be on the field to make an impact. I know that seems obvious, but availability is a skill. He hasn't been available enough for this team. He was available last year, but he was inconsistent. If Kevin King plays like the guy who is an elite man corner or one of the best man corners in the game, and the guy who plays like one of the best red zone corners in the game again in 2020. He is someone you pay. He is someone who proves that he is a foundational piece in your defense. And if he takes a little bit of a mini step, remember this was the first year he got to play the majority of games, played eight games in eight games his first two years in the league, trying to get all the way back healthy. Now, that shoulder injury is apparently no longer a problem for him. Last year, it was some lower body issues that he was having, and those things happen. You're an NFL player, especially you're a cornerback. You do a lot of running, and the wear and tear on your legs is considerable. If he's playing 14, 15 games a year, and he's playing it at a high level, then he is a very useful player in this defense. And as I mentioned earlier this offseason when we talked about Josh Jackson, if you have a secondary of Josh Jackson, Kevin King, and Jair Alexander with Shannon Sullivan, who can be a movable piece, you can move Josh Jackson around, maybe cover some tight ends, move Jair Alexander around, let him cover in the slot. Kevin King says he wants to cover in the slot this year. Maybe that's something he can do. If he can do that, you're adding value. He is a player who I don't think gets talked about enough as someone who can potentially be a high-impact player for this team because we haven't seen it yet. But when he's good, he's really good. Now, the bad parts are ugly. He'll get lost in coverage, in zone coverage, and he'll play too soft at times, play too far off. He's an inconsistent tackler. And again, the injury question marks are going to remain. But if he goes out and has a good season, that could elevate this defense. That could help fight regression with this defense because they made a significant jump last year in passing defense. Of course, they they got a lot better from a talent standpoint. You add Zadarius Smith, you add Kenny Clark, Jair Alexander gets a little bit better. You add Adrian Amos, you add Darnell Savage. I mean, they revamped the defense last year. So you add all that talent, you should get better. Now here they are in year two with all those guys. And another year in the Mike Pettin system for the players who were here before the 2019 season. And this defense, if Kevin King is a guy, and not just a guy, but a dude, someone that can be relied on, takes that that mini jump, 
doesn't even have to be a jump, just a step forward. Take a step forward, improve the consistency. He's one of the highest variance players in the league. Reminds me a little bit of late career D'Angelo Hall. Someone who can get you some interceptions, can make those big plays, but is also going to give up plays as well. Inconsistent in the run game, but when he wants to come up and be physical and make a tackle, he can do it. He can do it. We see those flashes. It's something that you hope, you know, another year removed from that shoulder injury, he can come out and be productive in the way that Green Bay needs him to be. If he can, he's a guy who raises the ceiling of this defense beyond even what it was last year when it was a top 10 passing defense. He's not someone who's going to go out and help them in the run game. Who cares? It's not his job. It's not what you want him to do. You want him to affect the passing game. You want him to be able to be on the number one receiver for at least part of the game and not feel like you're giving up a ton. Jair Alexander is cornerback one. He is the guy. So when you play the Vikings, you want him on Adam Thielen more often than not. When you play the Cowboys, you want him on Amari Cooper more often than not. When you play the 49ers, you want him on Debo Samuel. When you play the Saints, you want him on Michael Thomas. But the Packers play enough zone and mix enough coverages, and Mike Patton detests matching enough that especially against good teams and good quarterbacks, you're going to need Kevin King to come through and play some of those reps against other good receivers. You're going to need him to come through in a Cowboys game and defend Michael Gallup, who's a really good receiver. You're going to need him against the Saints to defend Emmanuel Sanders for some amount of snaps. You're going to need him to defend Mike Evans and Chris Godwin in a matchup against the Buccaneers. You need him to be able to be productive, even if he's not great. If he is starting caliber, gives you those interceptions, and is great in the red zone, if he ratchets up that consistency a touch, then you have... An impactful player, even if he's not a great player, you have an impactful player at a critical position of need in the NFL, and you have someone who can be a building block for your defense moving forward. The Packers can always use more building blocks. The question then becomes cost. And so it becomes a difficult discussion to have if you're the Packers about, okay, if that happens, how hard is it to find a reliable cornerback with the upside King has, with the playmaking King has, the size, the length, the matchup versatility that King has. It's not easy. Josh Jackson's development or lack thereof is is proof of that. And so we'll see a lot this season. We'll learn a lot about Green Bay's future based on how Kevin King plays. And again, if King takes a little bit of a step, you know, he was overall not highly graded by Pro Football Focus one of the least consistent corners in the league, but is able to make splash plays to make up for that a little bit. If you keep the splash plays or even reduce them a little bit and the trade-off is more consistency, then suddenly your defense doesn't really have a a hole in the passing game. You can argue about the run defense and the middle of the field and all of that, but if Kevin King is reliable and more consistent, you've got two good safeties, at least one good safety and a safety who has the potential to be really good. You've got another good corner, and you've got Shannon Sullivan, who is an ascending, versatile defender. You add King to that mix, and suddenly there are very few holes on your defense in the passing game to go with a great pass rush. And if Christian Kirksey can just be serviceable in the middle of the field, then this team not only has the opportunity to be a top 10 defense, but a top 5, 6 By DVOA, defense, you know, of course, adjusting for schedule, this is an important caveat. 
And that, you know, even if the offense stays the same, that could be enough. You create one extra play here, one extra play there. That could be enough to win enough games to get you some home playoff games, to beat a 49ers team. And then suddenly you're you're in a different phase of your contention in the NFC. I had to laugh yesterday when Pro Football Focus came out with a, a video clip and the, the social headline was like, is Kenny Galladay the best receiver in the NFC North? And there was a minute discussion, a minute and one second, and Devontae Adams' name did not come up until the 53-second mark. They asked if Kenny Galladay was the best receiver. They brought up Marvin Jones before Devontae Adams. They brought up Adam Thielen before Devontae Adams, and they didn't mention Allen Robinson at all. And I don't understand why outside of the fantasy football community, Devontae Adams doesn't get more respect. I mean, I think right now the value of Adams is he's going to get a ton of targets in an offense where there aren't that many other guys. I don't understand why people don't realize Devontae Adams is a special player. And the route running is incredible. His ability to create down the field, create after the catch, uh, win in jump ball situations. I mean, there's nothing he can't do. And I know he's not the fastest player. He's not going to take a slant 80 yards to the house the way that Odell Beckham would or Julio Jones would. But you know what? Either is DeAndre Hopkins. Either is Michael Thomas. It's not what they do well. It's not where they win. And I I think he's still not getting enough credit because Aaron Rodgers is in the building. And Alan Lazard told Adam Lefko on his podcast that last week that a lot of the stuff that Aaron Rodgers gets credit for, especially in the red zone, is really just Devontae Adams being a special player. And I don't know why the general public and, and even the, the football so-called intelligentsia, I mean, these are, these are people who are supposed to know. Devontae Adams was a highly graded player by Pro Football Focus last year and graded ahead of the guys that they mentioned um, in, instead of him. So I, I don't understand it. I don't know why he doesn't get brought up more. And I don't know if it's because he's the only guy there. I don't know if it's because for a long time he was living in the shadows of Jordy Nelson. I don't know if it was because of the struggles early in his career and people have just been like, oh, well, we wrote him off, so now we can't go back on the take. I don't get it, and I'm I'm not going to pretend to get it. He deserves more credit for the quality of player that he is, and and maybe this season he'll start to get more of that adulation because he, he does, if he stays healthy, have a chance to be... You know, a guy who gets 1,600 yards, 12 touchdowns. The lack of touchdowns last year was truly bizarre. But, you know, he wasn't healthy for like two months. Even if he only missed a month, he wasn't really healthy. and didn't look fully back and healthy until, you know, the end of the season, November, December. So if the Packers get him for a full season healthy, I think he can have a monster year. And, and maybe, just maybe, he'll start getting the recognition that he deserves. All right, we're going to be back tomorrow. Remember, four shows this week and three next week. Um, working on some some cool stuff, so keep an eye out for that. Remember, uh, I'm writing. I'm still writing. Acme Packing Company, Packer Report. I haven't uh, been as annoying about asking you to go read it, uh, but it'd be great if you could. I mean, certainly don't just respond to a tweet with an article in it and complain about it. Go read it. Um, that would be great. <laughs> I know that's not most of you, but it is, you know, it's there's, there's enough people that it's annoying. I'm going to be honest. So uh, don't do that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. You can like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, 
wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers. And any time you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked On Packers. Locked On Packers.